Hello, you found the Texas Steampunk Connection, your source for all things steampunk in the great free state of Texas. We have adventures. We review books, movies, and games. We interview cool people, and we share upcoming events. And we ask the all-important question, is it steampunk? What is steampunk? I'm Flavio. I'm Erica. And I'm Fax. <laughs> we are your hosts. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Texas, Texas Steampunk Connection. All right, we're back with the Steampunk Connection, Texas Steampunk Connection to be exact, <laughs> episode seven, and we are on site, on location. We are here at the uh, Curia Arcanum with Francis Suchamel the third, the owner and operator operator of the of the <laughs> this fascinating little shop of of uh, curiosities <laughs> and, and spiritualism and and Victorian uh, goodies. That he could tell, I'm sure, stories for days about. Yeah. Far too long. Far too yeah. long. <laughs> but, but thank you guys so much for coming out. Yeah, welcome. Yes. Thank you. And thank you for welcoming us since we're in your house. Yeah, we came really. here to you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, it, it, this, is, I mean, this is an awesome little house. We were here for uh, the grand opening of the Glass Coffin, which is downstairs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we found you guys, not knowing you were here. And we'd seen you yes. once before at the uh, Wimberley steampunk and ren fair events last spring and you were a, a musical guest at that at that event and and you had some very interesting gothic spooky really interesting stuff that i hadn't heard before we're Thank not going to get in too Thank far you. into that today but uh you have a lot a lot to tell us i think we're going to be talking about uh victorian spiritualism Yes. Yes. We're gonna, yes. We're gonna we're gonna call you our local expert <laughs> in Victorian spiritualism. <laughs> well, I let's see if I can live up to that. I well, I'm sure you know a lot more than I do. <laughs> well, I I tell you what, you know, during that during that era was one of the most fascinating periods, you know, for you know not only the the spiritualism movement, but also you know Western esotericism and the occult. You know, I I keep saying somebody needs to make a movie you know, about this subject around that era because there's just, you know, so many tall tales and power struggles and secret societies and, you oh, know, just yeah. just everything that would make a really, really good story. So it's it's really I it's so rich in in interesting strangeness that I don't know if it would fit into one movie. I've certainly picked out pieces from like Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and a number of other movies of that of that ilk. But it's hard to it's t- hard to wrap your head around the little pieces that that are that are fed to you through these movies because they're just the bits that fit that that work in that film. So what sure, sure. what was going on? Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's an interesting question. And, to give a little bit of context first, okay, you know, because that's the thing. I think whenever we start looking at the past, it's a natural instinct that we want to look at it through the lens of modern day. And there's just a few facets that were going on during that period of time that aren't really as in play now as it was then. And one of them is the art of the tall tale telling. You know, it's something that... You know, mostly it was just a form of entertainment. It was just someone telling a harmless, you know, tall tale. And, you know, it was just there to 
try to suspend disbelief of your audience just long it was, enough. It was their form of so like that, movies and TVs and exactly, stuff. Exactly, exactly. They didn't have that exactly. then, really. So. Right, right. So they wanted to suspend that disbelief just long enough so that the audience afterwards would walk away going, well, you know, maybe, maybe it is that way. And, and then after that point, the person then lives in a world where maybe that is a possibility. And a perfect example is like P.T. Barnum and the Fiji Mermaid. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got a, a monkey, you know, uh, uh, sewn together with a fish and, you know, people would come out and see this. And, you know, some people, of course, would look at it and scoff and say, okay, yeah, whatever. But a lot of people, you know, would see this and be like, wow, this is incredible. This is fantastic. And I'm looking right at it. It could be real. This is. <laughs> I, I have tangible evidence the Fiji mermaid is real. And after that, they live in a world where the Fiji mermaid exists. And so a lot of the time it was this harmless entertainment. But of course, you have other people who would tell these elaborate stories because maybe what they were saying had a certain philosophical tinge that maybe certain oppressions within the government and, and other factors uh, within the society at the time, they couldn't equate to them being the author of. So, you know, they kind of fabricated these very elaborate tales of authorship and, and where something came from. And then, of course, other people were just vying for power and, you know, making up stories to kind of elevate themselves and make themselves. Now, so that sounds that that's easily modern. That, I, I was going to say, now that, like that now, now, now that is not that unusual, <laughs> but as as kind of a modern day, people knew this existed. People knew other people were telling these tall tales and, you know, really knew not to take them too seriously most of the time. Uh, and, you know, that's something that's a little bit differently. But, but you also have during the Victorian era, like, the world really in flux and going through a lot of changes. Here we are right off the heels of the Industrial Revolution, you know, modernizing, you know, the the world and especially uh, Europe and the Americas. You've got – we're moving away from that, you know, Georgian rationalism, you know, towards a more romanticized idea of the world and, mm. and things like that. So you basically had a mindset which was ripe for introducing these ideas of, of – spiritualism and reinvigorating, you know, all of the Western esoteric uh, sense of magic and all of that, because society was just ripe for it at the time. And they were begging for something that they could break away from some of the confines of structured religion, you know, that in some circumstances had become uh, uh, somewhat oppressive towards certain uh, uh, sects of the society and, and things like that. So, Again, this was just the perfect time for something like this uh, to We got to into talking a little bit about that in regard to gothic literature. We mm -hmm. uh, In last few episodes, we talked about Bram Stoker's Dracula mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and those sort of themes oh. at that period of looking for a new kind of uh, freedom from religious tenets, but also a deeper spiritualism and exploring other issues that one was not allowed to speak about. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, that, that all kind of works into what we're getting into here, right? Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess if, if you just want to jump right into oh, kind of, kind of the, the timeline, <laughs> you know, if, if you're trying to find just a starting point for right. especially good, the, the spiritualist movement, start. <laughs> uh, you, know, you, you really have to start with the Fox sisters. 
and I was hoping you were going to bring them up. And 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 the modern seance because they they were the ones that really started. In particular, the two younger sisters were the ones uh, a bit more involved in, it. and it all kind of started harmless enough. You know, basically them just trying to trick their mom. You know, and and ooh, hey, look, we're we're communing with spirits over here, and mom freaks out. And, you know, starts inviting the neighbors over. And so they're doing doing their thing in front of the neighbors and claiming that they're coming into contact with, you know, someone who's murdered on the property. And so, of course, they were saying they heard voices and that uh, they were giving them messages. And uh, first they said they were they were uh, hearing the devil. But then their story sort of evolved more into, oh, there's a man who's dead in the basement right something that absolutely and and that's precisely what it was and and, you know they were doing the wrapping techniques of you know and depending on what era the fox sisters it was either like three wraps for no or you know on 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 but and they were making that up on the fly really oh they totally were (laughs) oh absolutely and and not only that but well we'll get to to that in a second but but just a uh really quick kind of summarize what ended up happening. So they're doing their thing. The neighbors are coming over. Everybody's freaking out over this. And so the neighbors start like tearing apart the basement and the property looking for this body. Everybody is just freaking out. So of course the parents, uh, the, the mother's like, well, you know, uh, maybe you guys should get out of here for a little bit. And so they, the Fox sisters go to stay with uh, some kind of radical Quaker friends of the family. Well, they what's keep... A, what's a radical Quaker? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, a, a radical Quaker, in, in this sense, um, when when they did their their rapping uh, seances in front of, uh, in front of this uh, group of people, they were like so enamored by this that that's really what started the, the whole spiritual movement during this period. You know, and then it just kind of ballooned out from there. And then, you know, within a year of that, the Fox sisters are doing it professionally, like in front of paid audiences. And, you know, it just starts ballooning. And then other people, of course, start mimicking. They wanted it on the action. (laughs) Well, of course, it's not too long after that, that a friend of the family ends up coming out and was like, all right, here's the deal. Let me tell you how they did it. Because I helped them. (laughs) And, um, you know, apparently it was her job, you know, to kind of let him know, all right, this is you. You want to do some tapping here. This is the point. You want to do that. Uh, and also, you know, she the, gave the away stage manager. Right. Pretty, <laughs> pretty much. And, and she also gave away how they did it, which was like the cracking of toes and knees, you know, and and everything. So people would be hearing these sounds and I've been cracking thinking, my knees for years. Yeah, and I haven't yeah, made yeah. a dime. <laughs> You've been doing well, it wrong. See, that's that's the thing. It's all about presentation. No, it's <laughs> giving it context. And, and if if only you had been cracking your knees and saying, see, it's really the other world I'm talking Ooh. to. And that's what's coming through um but but even though you know the friend of the family comes in and says look i i helped him out you know with this still didn't stop him and they they kept going and kept going strong and and uh kept getting other people well finally got to the point where um you know and there's a few different theories as to why they came out and did this um but the two two sisters decide all right we're coming clean and in front of a live audience they basically said, all right, this was a trick. You know, this is how we did it. Now let me show you how we did it. And it made no difference. (laughs) 
People were like, whatever. People, people were still like so entrenched, you know, in this idea. The movement had already started. And was and, it because was it because they didn't care that it was fake? They were there for the entertainment, or because they were just so, so, you know, sold. It didn't matter what they said anymore. You know, I think it's a little column A and a little column B. You know, I, wow. I think, you know, if you really think about it and, and just the idea of tall tales, you know, you have the creation of a fantasy, which is affecting one's perception, which then creates reality after that. You know, and like we we're talking about with the Fiji mermaid, you know, after a person, you know, is exposed to this fantasy and it suspends their disbelief long enough for them to then believe, well, maybe I do live in a world where the Fiji mermaid happens. And you know, so then that is, is their reality. Yeah. That that is what they experience. And I think it's it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, you know, is it that they yeah. that they wanted to be entertained? Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And was it that they had already bought in so much you know that they didn't want it there was just no kind of maybe there was just no no backtracking and and that's the funny thing so after the the fox sisters come out and and basically uh, uh give themselves away you know they started getting all kind of flack from you know other spiritualists as well as their own uh you know, financial hardships oh. uh then they came out and recanted and said no no really it's real <laughs> <laughs> and they never, uh, they never quite caught on as big as they were, but uh, but by by that time, and a lot of people end up turning their back. It's actually a really sad story. What <laughs> what ended up happening at that point? The rise but, and fall of the famous. Yes, yes, and and they they weren't alone. There there was a, a lot of that going on, but but the Fox sisters. That's that's really where it all began. That's you know, if you wanted to go back to to that whole movement and the movement that spawned things like ghost photography and the broad marketing of the spirit talking boards that then became the Ouija boards once they were uh, being marketed out and astral projection and all of these things. You know, if you really wanted to put a date. When did this really start taking off? It, it was Fox with sisters. them. Okay. It was with them. I mean, I, so. I've heard of them, but I didn't realize they were like the actual start of it all or, or <laughs> seemed to kick it off, kick it off that way. That's pretty cool. And I mean, obviously a bunch more spiritualists claim out, you know, they can talk to the, talk to the dead and your, your loved ones and everything. When did, I mean, it's my understanding like um, Houdini wanted to believe because he wanted to talk to his dead mom. Mm-hmm. Right, and so he would go around challenging him. Can you talk to my mom? Mm-hmm. And of course, he would debunk them <laughs> most of the time because they they couldn't. You know? Yeah, yeah. You you had you know people like like Houdini, like you were saying, who who you know wanted to believe that as well as P.T. Barnum, you know, who who was actually pretty down on on these guys, which is really ironic. You know, in in my opinion, he was a showman. Yeah, I mean, here here you've got a guy who's you know bringing out the Fiji mermaid and Tom Thumb and you know all these other you know obvious fabrications, who who then is pointing the finger over at the the spiritualists and being like, no, what you're doing isn't all right. No, you're <laughs> that that con that you're running up that isn't cool. You know, it's like <laughs> wait a minute. And, and I think in his mind, where the delineation was, was he wasn't you know, trying to make people believe that they were, you know, talking to dead relatives or or anything like that. But, oh, and just to kind of give you an idea of how popular uh, this was, Abraham Lincoln's wife uh, even contact or, uh, you know, had hired mediums to uh, speak with her dead son. Hmm. You know, so, I mean, this, it was really gaining traction and right. notoriety. So, 
because I was I remember it was a TV show. I don't know how accurate it was, but they apparently like um, not test Edison invented some, like a telephone that was supposed to be able to talk to the dead mm-hmm. at one point. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hadn't come across that. It wasn't anything. I don't think it wasn't a success, obviously, but he was mm-hmm. attempting to talk to the dead through, tele- through a telephone <laughs> at one point. And that's the thing that was going on during that period of time is that you had such fast advancements in science during this period of time that they didn't the, know what the limits were. Exactly. These these lines between the natural and supernatural were completely blurred. You know, so this idea that, well, we have a telephone now and it's picking up voices in kind of this magical way and maybe we can across, also talk i to have them. come across that that sort of mentality with the uh, new electricity and running wires across the country mm-hmm. for for telephone service how do they work where are the voices really coming <laughs> yeah. from and you know tesla himself thought he heard voices on his on his radio mm-hmm. when he had the only radio. Right, was, so where do those come from? Right, he was mm-hmm. from Mars, Mars, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Well, <laughs> and, and people claiming to talk to people from other planets wasn't unusual during that period of time either. Um, uh, let me check my name. I forget her name. Uh, Annie Horniman, that's that's the name. So she, uh, you know, big astral travel, things like that. Now, she claimed that she could travel anywhere, anytime. And in fact claimed that she could travel to Saturn and regularly went there and spoke to the people that live there. <laughs> so, yeah, and who's going to yeah. say she's not? If they, I, unless you're also traveling yeah. to Saturn as well. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I talk to them. They say they don't know you. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of the the uh, basis for all of the Golden Dawn Wars later on was. Uh, mm-hmm. one one person who was a purported leader of the Golden Dawn would say, yes. I'm in touch with the Secret Masters, yes. and yes. you're and you're telling people you're in touch with the Secret Masters, but yes. the Secret Masters told me they don't know you. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> and so there there's all these people claiming this original knowledge or these or these mm-hmm. contacts that that and they're trying to debunk other people, but they're all kind of running the same scam. <laughs> Absolutely. And and this is actually the perfect seg- segue here because uh Annie, the woman we were just speaking about, was a member of the Golden Dawn. Oh, okay. Uh so and and man, yeah, that uh, uh, was it. Golden Dawn. Where, the yeah, let's, where, let's do where do we start? Where do we start? Where do we start with Golden okay. Dawn? Because that are, are we didn't even talk society? about that on this yeah. show. Uh, I don't even know who they are. Oh, oh, I've never oh. Heard of really? Yeah. It, it, this is this is going to be fun. Fun. Tell okay. <laughs> <laughs> me, because this this is a drama. You almost have to go back a little bit further. Yeah, to to really have this make sense. Because if someone's not familiar with the Golden Dawn, not familiar with, you know, Western esoteric practices or anything like that, um, just to give context and and a little bit of things. So so you, man, how far back to go? Okay, let's start with Agrippa. Cornelius Agrippa, um, and who wrote three books of occult philosophy. Now, Agrippa was way beyond his time, you know, not just in, you know, being a scholar and and everything else, but his entire worldview in in spiritualistic view. Now, when he wrote the three books of occult philosophy, that became something that would change and be the blueprint, really, for Western esotericism from that point forward. You know, it goes into everything from astrological uh, to numerological to uh, speaking with angels to 
you know, everything else, you know, in between. Um, so you have him influencing people like John D. And if you're familiar with John D. and his work with Ed- Edward Kelly, of course, John D. was one of the consultants to uh, Queen Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And, um, you know, he was one of the most. And here's another thing to realize is a lot of these guys were polymaths. I mean, a lot of these guys were just absolutely brilliant, you know, not only in the rising sciences of their time and literature and uh, mysticism and, and uh, physics and, and everything else. I mean, these were guys that were considered experts in their time on a wide variety of fields. Uh, and, and John D., like uh, Cornelius Agrippa, was no different. Uh, and John D, uh, you know, viewed all of these things as kind of one in the same of, you know, looking at the universe and trying to understand these natural underlying laws and, and everything else. Well, then enter in Edward Kelly, you know, with John D and together they came up with uh, or realized, uh, however uh, you want to look at it, uh, the Enochian language, the language of angels. And so he spent, you know, the rest of his life trying to commune with angels. So, okay. Uh, then, you know, shortly after that, you have the rise of the Rosicrucian order, which then that's of significance because that kind of lays the foundwork, uh, foundwork, groundwork, uh, foundation, groundwork, there we oh, go, uh, for, <laughs> for basically all of the different kind of uh, esoteric and occult movements that would come after that and, and kind of grading systems and everything on how they, they'd be structured. Um, uh, and even in there, you know, you want to talk about tall tales. I mean, you've got uh, the three manifestos of Rosicrucian, which came out, you know, in like 1615, 14, 12, I think was another one. Anyway, but um, those were attributed to being written in the 1400s, but really came out in the 1600s. But because of certain oppressive elements in both government and religious uh, things, they had it was okay if you said, well, this is actually a couple of years old and I'm just reprinting it. That was okay. But if you said, uh, yeah, I wrote this, then it's, oh, yeah. you know, you're, you're in trouble. Um, I can see that being yeah. a problem, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and another great thing that they did is they, you know, with each one of these people, each one of these groups started, you know, you, you had a collection of, you know, more and more esoteric works, you know, uh, Kabbalistic, Hermetic, uh, and, and others uh, just just being brought together. Uh, and then in 1801, you have the publishing of the Magus. And this was a big deal because up to this point, you know, a lot of these esoteric writings were – so it just for very few, you know, it wasn't anything that really hit mainstream or gotten any wide publication. Uh, and the Magus was basically a reworking of Agrippa's three books of occult philosophy, but written in the modern tongue, you know, of the age. And then this book gets into the hands of Eliphas Levi. And, and I apologize if I am completely butchering uh, that pronunciation, but <laughs> I don't think I'd be right. able to know uh, way. But so we'll go with that. But this this influences him and a number of other people. And Levi is is now we're getting up into the Victorian era and mm-hmm. kind of the origins of the Golden Dawn, um, because what. Uh, Levi, of course, he was also very much involved in the Rosicrucian order, uh, you know, as well, obviously, being influenced by by all the other earlier writings. Um, so his work is really what ended up not only influencing the Golden Dawn, but also uh, Blavatsky's Theosophical Society and, and everything else from there. Um, but then 
Now, now we're up to date. Now, now here we are with the Golden Dawn and okay. the Golden Dawn. Uh, and here's where the tall tales start. <laughs> All right. Here's here's where it, where it really begins, and uh, you have the cipher manuscripts. Now, there's uh, a gentleman by the name of William Wynne Westcott, and he uh, there's different stories about how he gets these these uh, cipher manuscripts, but. The idea basically was that they had to be translated using using a cipher, and uh, what was contained therein was basically the entire structure of a magical order. Oh. And so uh, he he goes and grabs Samuel McGregor Mathers, who then goes and gets William Robert Woodman, and they all sit down and kind of cobble through this and come up with a structure for an organization and everything. And boom, you have the birth of the golden dawn and, and the golden dawn and is now think of it. It's structured within three different orders. And during this period of time, you have the first order. And then there you have, you know, different esoteric philosophy and hermeticism, Kabbalistic writings, uh, the elements, astrology, tarot, geomancy. Yeah, well, your your basic magic structure. Okay. You know, uh, in there within within this first order, but also apparently, uh, according to Westcott, these manuscripts also contained an address, a secret address okay. to a woman who is a Rosicrucian who was in commune with the secret chiefs of the invisible college now that the reason why that's important yes exactly so oh well let me explain with that so the secret chiefs of the invisible college now these are are supposedly you know these non-physical entities yes okay so that, yes what you're saying is she was able to channel or commune with non-physical entities yes. who who ha- hold these these positions or these great knowledges yes. that she they can give to her and she can give to everybody else. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry. That was, yeah, I was... Oh, the codes. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, there's so much to, to dig through here. Uh, but, so the the reason why that was important is because if you had a secret order, you mm-hmm. you had to have somebody who was talking to these secrets. I mean, that's what gave you validation. That's what, you know, if you people... Yeah, it, well, if people could come in and you could be like... Hey, we're legit, man. We've we got the seal of approval from the secret chiefs over here, and uh, so we can't tell you who they are. They're secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and even more than that, not only could they not tell you, there was only specific people that could talk to them, mm. <laughs> and that's where the power struggle began. <laughs> who gets to talk to them? Yes. This sounds just like the Catholic Church. Wait a minute. Uh, I, <laughs> I apologies to anyone listening who. Is down with the Catholic Church, but you know you can't talk to God. You can only talk to priests who talk to God, no. or priests who talk to the bishops who talk to the Pope who talks to God. Or you know, there's a but there's only a while structure. he's sitting in the chair. Uh, sure, <laughs> yeah. okay. Point is, yes. you cannot talk to God. Right. Well, you need the pointy hat. Right. Yes. Right. Or or you have to pray to the saints who can ask for to talk to God for mm-hmm. you. But there's there's never direct communication with the, the Godhead or the spirits or you're never in control of your own spirituality. Pretty much. Yeah. Just sounded really familiar. Yeah. Throw that in. Okay. <laughs> well, it's uh, been going on for 
Sounds a like a bureaucracy. Time. Yeah. Hey, how about that? <laughs> so, so we the call gold, it a power structure. Right. So the gold. So the golden circle was a society, mm -hmm. and they believed in all this spiritual stuff. Absolutely. Like, like the, Absolutely. the tarot and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> what? What was? What was their? goal behind it all other than what kind oh, of power okay well <laughs> to keep the metric well, system down <laughs> to keep the metric. <laughs> what kind of power are well, they looking for well in in this you finally get down to this idea of the accomplishment of the great work uh and and there it kind of goes back into hermeticism and hermetrismagesis uh, and this idea of a it's been put many ways, uh, and, and so I'm trying to find the most universal way to put it where, where anyone who you know, subscribes to this wouldn't be like, well, no, that's not it. But <laughs> it's, it's kind of this idea of a transformation, a transmutation, not only of self, but of eventually the universe and, and everything else. The accomplishment of the great work, which would be um, to – Oh man, I this is only an hour show, right? Uh, this is a, <laughs> you can go longer. You so, know, we might want to cut so, this into into multiple shows because yes, yes, this exactly. is a lot of stuff, yes, and I don't want to miss any of it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so this the the Golden Dawn is into yes. ceremonial magic. There you go. And ceremonial magic is basically it, it differs from sort of the you know I'm gonna do some. I'm going to plant a plant and I'm going to think a thought and that thought is going to create a reality based on how this plant grows. And that's, that's just kind of me and the plant and, and the divine and in my backyard kind of kitchen, witch kind of stuff. Um, ceremonial magic is a cookbook. Right. So, so basically these people get together and they follow, if you follow this recipe for, for magic, this thing is going to happen. But the, the the special part is you have to be dressed a certain way. Mm -hmm. You have something. to you have to be you, you not only do you have to follow the recipe exactly with the ingredients and the special words, but you have to be purified within yourself and you have to be uh, mentally and spiritually strong enough to stir the soup. Sounds like Scientology. Yes. <laughs> oh, you know, actually, it's funny you bring that up. I, I, I don't want to catch too much attention from an organization that's very litigious, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget I said that. But but they that actually do factor factor in later on. Okay. Yeah. They actually but to factor the point, in later on. Uh, ceremonial magic is complicated right yeah. for yeah. complexity's yeah. sake right because it's cooler you, that you, way you, you, follow yeah. the, you follow the recipe you belong to the organization mm -hmm. you have to serve the organization for a certain amount of time before you're even allowed to open the cookbook right right um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 very uh you know l'escoffier <laughs> of well and that's when you get into the second order <laughs> because the first order was, you know, you, you, I mean, it, it, they even had these very elaborate, you know, initiations where, you know, you, you promised uh, everything under the sun, moon and stars and beyond that you would not disclose mm -hmm. anything, you know, that you were shown or given or, or anything like that. And it became even more so once the second order uh, was brought about, which was the uh, much more Rosicrucian, even though the you know first the, the, order was the next but, step up, next level. But yeah, yeah, there there you graduate, and, and what ended up happening then is uh, so uh, uh, Westcott lost his connection to the woman who befriended the secret chiefs. But hey, that's all right. <laughs> Did she move? Uh, actually, she passed away. That's kind of like moving. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. She, she, but if she was a 
truly probably should have been able to still talk to her. But anyway. So, so, yeah, so, somebody, uh, but, so somebody needs to contact her. Yeah. Through the so he could have gotten the Fox sisters in to be able to talk to No. So, <laughs> so but that's okay. I believe that. Because, like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what ends so up happening? So she leaves a power vacuum and, she does. and everyone is scrambling to see if they can get in touch with the secret chiefs next. Well, McGregor Mathers. He was already well. Now, when when the other when Woodman, the the other person who had actually passed away just shortly after the the creation of the Golden Dawn, uh, he basically left his position to uh, McGregor Mathers, uh, and his position was was basically what what was a lead commander. It was the uh, yeah, that's basically what it translates in, in from Latin. But lead commander said McGregor Mathers, and it kind of went to his head. And so as soon as Westcott was no longer able to talk to the woman who could talk to the secret chiefs and man, how many vias? All right. So, uh, so of course, McGregor Mathers steps up and goes, Hey guys, guess what? Now I can talk to him. And not only can I talk to him, but they've given me a whole bunch of new stuff. (laughs) And so there, there you have the second order. Um, and, and that gets created. And, and, uh, during this period of time, McGregor Mathers is, putting more and more of a stronghold on the organization itself so that um, it, it's a bit disruptive. You know, people are, are not appreciating it very much. And he also becomes increasingly paranoid of Westcott, uh, the other gentleman. So what should happen? Some occult papers show up in Westcott's cab. Just, I, I don't know how they got there. They just kind of, now this is bad for Westcott because Westcott, you know, in in his business as a coroner, he's involved in high society, you know, dealings. And if you have occult papers on you, that's that's not cool. So, no one is is again some conflicting stories. But basically, in a nutshell, what it looks like is his boss went to him and said, like, look, you need to knock off all this occult stuff, or you need to go and find another job. So Westcott publicly, you know, he steps down. Okay, leaving he was framed. Kind of, well, kind of, you know, or, if, or pointed out or outed, outed. Yeah. If you look at all the factors, it really does look like McGregor Mathers set him up. I, I mean, nobody has ever been able to, you know, one hundred percent conclude that that's what happened, but it really does look that way because you know during that period of time, he's already getting a little bit more paranoid. He's already getting more power hungry. And what would the next logical step be other than okay, Take out let's your enemies. Let's get the one guy that's standing in my way from having total control, you know, out of the picture. And he did. And uh, after that, I mean, he he basically at from that point forward had it where people would basically have to swear to him, you know, when they were part of the organization. And he, he got on quite the power trip. And so it was essentially, I mean, it was a secret society or yeah. the occult. So it was a religion, mm-hmm. you know, basically is what, uh, what it sounds like. I mean, we call that a cult now. Yes. A, a, yes. Not occult, but a cult. cult. And when, <laughs> that's when, exactly what I was hearing. Yep. <laughs> when, when the occult becomes a cult. Yeah. And, and that's a, exactly what happened. And, uh, and it only gets worse. <laughs> of course. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, because then you have to enter in Aleister Crowley. Uh-oh. And, and, and once Aleister Crowley came in, now, now keep in mind, McGregor Mathers is already upsetting uh, the other adepts and, and higher-ups in the Golden Dawn. They're, they're already like on the verge of mutiny at, at this point. They're not happy with him. Um, 
But then you enter in uh, Crowley. Now, now the one thing I, I I feel like I have to say something positive before I <laughs> okay. before I go off. Um, now, there's no doubt about it. Brilliant guy. You know, very intelligent. Memory uh, uh, that was exceptional. His ability to draw correspondences and everything else. Absolutely brilliant. Um, while at the same time, a, a very flawed human. You know, at the same time. Uh, you know, there was a reason why him and McGregor Mathers got along so well and and then not so well uh, because, you know, they, they were both vying, vying for power. Yeah. Cut of the same cloth. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, so you you had Crowley, you know, who, you know, through through a friend got involved in the Golden Dawn Um he started going up the ranks very, very quickly, you know, just because he had an exceptional memory. And when it came time for him to, you know, uh, uh, the test ritual, and, and initiate and, that, yeah. and, and everything, like he was he was ready. He was ready for well ahead of time. And he was just kind of waiting out the, the period of time that he had to wait to be able to do the next initiation. So he went up very quickly. Um, Interesting trivia. Crowley <laughs> was a preacher's kid. What's that? <laughs> he was a preacher's yes. kid. Whenever you talk about like preacher's kids always being kind of the bad ones, mm-hmm. um, his his family was in a, a really strange little sect of Christianity called yes. the Plymouth Brethren. And uh, Crowley grew up in that religious tradition. And of course, as young people are often want to do, went completely against it mm-hmm. once, once he uh, grew up a little bit. Which is really interesting because up to this point, like a lot of these orders, a lot of these secret orders, a, a, a lot of the Western esotericism was very much based in in Christian mysticism. Sure. You know, and, uh, and then by the time you enter in uh, Crowley and, and what what he did in, in forwarding it uh, uh, with Thelema and everything else, like he just went through and started stripping that stuff out. You know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, and like you were saying, he he was very much the antithesis of, you know, anything that was, you know, religious based in that nature, you know, and that's when you also have the advent of the incorporation, um, really starting before this, I mean, Blavatsky uh, did a great deal more, but the introduction of a lot of Eastern philosophy and mysticism, you know, not only uh, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, and of course, Taoism, um, Alistair yeah. Crowley was the first uh, uh, yoga yeah. master uh, from from a Western country. Mm-hmm. He went to, he went east and learned yoga and brought it back and and practiced it for the rest of his life. Um, he was also a mountaineer. He really liked mountain climbing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he he was, and he was That's, actually an exceptional yeah mountain like, climber. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, like did stuff that people haven't been able to do since with equipment and oxygen. You right, know? right. And he was just doing it with, you know, his guys and a rope. <laughs> and and there's actually some interesting stories about that. We probably won't go into here, but but about like yeah, the summoning of the different thing. Anyway, so yeah, we <laughs> he's yeah. clashing. He's clashing. There's there's so many right. different the directions to right. go in. But yes, okay. So he's moving up in the ranks. Um, uh, and and finally, he's ready to get into the second order. Right now, at this point, Westcott uh, or McGregor Mathers is kind of running things from up high and <clears throat> not as much involved in, in the local levels, and especially I, I believe the uh, London branch, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, to the point where they're even kind of wondering what the deal with Mathers is. Um, 
So Crowley's to the point where he's ready for that initiation, and he basically shows up like, all right, guys, I'm ready. Let's let's do this. Let me into this inner order now, this inner secret order. And they turn him down. They say, nope. Crowley goes to to uh, Mathers and, you know, basically, you know, what's up yeah, with this? Let's, let's you know, and, ready, yeah. yeah. And Mathers like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll initiate you myself. And he does. Because <laughs> he has the power to yeah, do that. Yeah, he can, he can do – he's basically the – ultimate leader of the golden dawn he can do whatever he wants yep. um so so he does that crowley goes back and says all right cool now i need the papers i've been initiated yeah mathers did it and they're like what yeah well, this is they that and that kind of was the last straw uh so then you had a whole bunch of people um resigning uh from the golden dawn not only resigning but really bringing into question Mathers and you know what he's doing, and this was kind of the beginning of the end, and so of course that's happening. And then rather than seeing like, rather than Mathers seeing that, oh wow, you know I I'm really creating a coup here. Uh, rather than seeing that, he blames Westcott, and he thinks Westcott's behind all. But of his this. emails. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Like, <laughs> lock him up. Yeah, lock him up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So familiar. Ah, uh, we've heard this one before. Yeah. Uh, but so, so yeah, and, and um, at this point, he's blaming Westcott, so they're getting ready to do an investigation. And, um, you know, so, so of course an, they an go internal to... investigation. Yes, yeah. yes, an I mean, internal this is, investigation. I mean, this is supposed to be a secret yeah. society, right? I mean, yeah. like the normal everyday people don't know anything about this. Right, or, right, right. This is know, all being handled all... In, internally. Yeah. But even right. with internally, now there's this, like, multiple power struggle going on. And then it gets really weird because you have magical battles of the will. Yes. <laughs> so you have... You that, have... just sit there and stare at each other? No, <laughs> no. Like, you're hanging out at your house, and all of a sudden you have... Oh, an asthma attack oh, or, attack. or something be. like that. Yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's because that rascal McGregor Mathers has summoned a, a air demon to, yes. to attack me. <laughs> so in addition to all this sort of litigious meetings that are going on in person in the, in the society, magical, magical there's also people that are, that are supposedly committing magical attacks upon one another. Mm -hmm. well, well, yeah, well, the whole thing was based on ritual magic. So <laughs> there you go. They're going to bring story magic about to bear. Crowley claiming that someone had summoned a psychic vampire against him. And for the longest time, I was like, whoa, psychic vamp. What is he, what is he talking about? <laughs> then I came across a person, a real person in my real life, who was just like, you would talk to them and they would just bring you down. You know, they were like a really drag to be around. That is a psychic vampire. <laughs> Right. Some bore came into his house and he looking for somebody to blame. I don't know if that's the case. It was really funny. Me, man. Yeah. <laughs> you must or have been don't, brought don't, here don't, by don't, Mathers. Don't forget the, I mean, when you, when you came back from Vegas with pneumonia. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you, you, you shook hands with him. Yeah. <laughs> that's an entirely different story. Yeah. No, that guy's a real vampire. <laughs> that's a different go. story. We'll bring that <laughs> But we love him and we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back to the story. Right. Oh, yeah. Right, oh. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they're doing this internal investigation. And so, of course, uh, you know, you've got Mathers on one side saying, oh, this is all Westcott. And then you have the, the adepts, um, you know, within the, the organization going, oh, oh, okay, where's your proof? Hmm. 
And you have Mather saying, well, I don't I don't need to provide any. I, I just know. It's him. The secret master's told me. You're just a depth. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys need to listen to me. I'm the one who's who's in charge here. So uh, eventually the adepts get tired of his shenanigans and they kick him out. <laughs> and so, yeah, he, he ends up getting kicked out of the organization that he helped start. <laughs> As the way things and, happen a lot, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. how dare you do? Mm-hmm. How dare you tell us what to do and what you made up? Or, yeah. yeah, it's like this is. I know this is all your idea, but how dare you? T- how dare you tell us what to do? And the crazy thing is, during that period of time, it, it even got crazier as far as who is talking to the secret chiefs and the invisible college and there, who is. Did splinter groups happen? Like, oh yeah, yeah. McGregor Mathers went off and he started his own splinter group, and then that started a, a million different. Splinter groups, like not a, there was a gentleman by the name, but uh, so this is getting a little bit outside of the Victorian era, but it's a, a awesome story. So I got to tell it really quick, or at least <laughs> sure, the highlights. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you've got Paul Foster case. I, I don't know if you're familiar with with this gentleman. So so he he was a member <clears throat> not of Golden Dawn directly, but of the kind of splinter group that McGregor Mathers started. Now. He was involved. He goes up very quickly uh, in the ranks, and he starts butting heads with Mather's wife. Uh, they don't get along, and they don't like each other very much at all. So eventually she tells him to bug out and get lost. Well, it's pri- I guess it's a good thing that she did that because within that same year, Paul Foster Case has a meeting with none other than the Count of St. Germain. Ooh. Yes. Who imparts upon him the wisdom of the ancients, of course, because, you know, it's the Count of St. Germain. <laughs> How you do? It's and, ancient uh, wisdom. You know. Wait, everybody, I don't know who this is. The Count of St. Germain. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he he's kind of the, so he's in part an actual person, in part folk hero, legend, hero may be the wrong word, um, but he uh, was known for telling just tall, tall tales. And Voltaire had a nickname for him, and I forgot what it was, like the Impossible Man or, or something like that. I, I should have. I know. Anyway, um, but he would just tell these stories that if you followed along, you realize, oh, this guy's 500 years old. <laughs> you know, and he would just tell these elaborate tales and, and everything. But somehow he managed to whittle his way into – you know, high society and and everything else. Well, whenever somebody <coughs> wanted to claim something of true high magical origin, you know, apparently the Count of Saint Germain was the guy to the guy to call upon. And oh, and okay. uh, uh, Paul Foster Case had a chance meeting with with the Count of Saint Germain in a hotel room where where he gave him all the secrets, and from that. He built the Builders of the Adidum, uh, which is another you know offshoot group very similar to to the Golden Dawn and okay. and all of those. But anytime uh, the Camp of Saint Germain comes up, I I just have to take notice because uh, <laughs> honestly, it's it's I, I actually have a picture of him out there uh, in the other room. So yes. Uh, There's a but, really good uh, series of fiction books by Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough about the uh, Count of Saint Germain. He's a vampire, and those, oh, okay. and he's got this whole family, and they they make uh, fake jewels. That's how they they get their family money, and then they also 
uh, have created this particular shade of stained glass that protects them from daylight. Mm-hmm. And so they go around installing that's that very, that's in very churches for vampires. Yeah. all over the world. They they become uh, famous for making these fantastic stained glass windows, and basically they're just making a lot of safe houses for themselves. <laughs> I need to check that out. It's, that, that it's really well done. It's a it's a good story. <laughs> I need to read that. Yeah. So the Count of Saint Germain is one of those larger than life characters you could hitch your wagon to oh, and yeah. create your own. Occult society, or a cult society, one of those. A cult society, one of them. <laughs> cult to cult. To, yeah, uh, and yeah, he was just a, a fascinating character. You know, it, and that's the other thing. A lot of these guys, they were they were either one of two things. They were either brilliant polymaths or just really eccentric, outgoing, you know, uh, uh, people. So, yeah, or maybe or a both. Little both. Yeah. yeah, I think Crowley was probably a little bit both. He was. He was. Yeah, Kelly's yeah. sort of fallen off of the story here. Oh, oh sorry. So, oh, that's okay. But then what happens? <laughs> oh, what what happens with Crowley? Oh, they just kicked um, out uh, Mathers. McGregor Mathers, Mathers, Mathers. Mathers. and Don Crowley. His his second, if you will, mm-hmm. is still there, I suppose. No, well, what ends up happening? Crowley Crowley sticks with Mathers. <coughs> Mathers tries to assert power back. Doesn't work. Eventually, Crowley just becomes disillusioned with, you know, or just fed up with everybody and kind of goes off uh, on his own and and goes to climb mountains for a while, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, He also traveled in Egypt. Yeah. Uh, And that's actually uh, where, you know, you get into the whole book of the law and Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Stella with the 666 serial number and... And, and everything, and then the origins of, of Thelema, and then, again, there's multiple stories to talk about this, but his taking of power, the OTO, and, you know, or whether he usurped it or it was given to him, I guess are two sides of the same coin. But... <laughs> <laughs> So that was the Golden Dawn, you said, right? Basically, well, well that was the Golden was, Dawn, and then we have Crowley. Going and it, on. You know, then it fell, it kind of fell apart, and Splinter Group. I mean, oh yeah, how many? You said a lot of Splinter Groups. A lot I mean, of Splinter Groups. Oh man, I mean more than <laughs> yeah. because you know any like occult or, or Western esoteric uh, uh, society or, or organization now you know, has to give at least some credit to the Golden Dawn as far as the way that it's structured or the information that it has. Um, and, oh, and here, here's the, or the, you know, so you... The degrees, the initiation yeah. ceremonies, the hierarchies, mm-hmm. the way it's organized. Yeah, I'm about to say, I mean, I was thinking of the Baptist church. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's so many different... Freemasons. Types, yeah. <laughs> There's like yeah. a Southern Baptist, there's a Northern Baptist, and there's a Northwestern, a Northeastern, a North mm-hmm. this and that, and it's all these different types, all these splinter... The primitive Baptists. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just, you can't keep up with them all. It's, no, it's no. So many. I mean, yeah, you've got the... the and when you get and down to it, the, the differences in, in just the, philosophy the, are very minor to an outside... of a certain passage for the right. most part. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's very, like it that. seems like a really minor quibble, yeah. it, not really worth starting your own whole church about, but... <laughs> So I think a lot that, of that is personalities. Is that yeah. the, the basically how how these different splinter uh, occult groups happens? The disagreements on on particular issues or writing their own sets of of 
Or somebody wants to be in charge and somebody you? doesn't want them to be in charge. Yes, yes, and yes. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> yeah. like that person talking to the to the invisible people. I want this person talking to the invisible people. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I you know, I think it was in part power struggle. I think it was in part somebody just wanted to to put their own thing on it, wanted to put their own spin on it, wanted to you know, uh it, you know, or or people just had conflicting personalities with other people and and so they like just any organization kinda, that happens. Yeah. Everywhere, you know, and and, and I think this is a a good point to make here is that a lot of a lot of the time these are referred to as magical arts, okay, Mm -hmm. and I think arts is is the important you know thing to take into consideration here, and as such, it's it's something that's going to change and evolve with any person that's involved in it. Like for example, if you're a painter and you know, you enjoy the paintings of Rembrandt. Well, at first you're going to be a little bit derivative of Rembrandt, but eventually you need to find your own voice and and move on from there. And I do believe it's very much in the same same way. Is eventually, you know, especially when you're looking at making connections, you know, to to things that are are bigger than yourself. You know, you're tapping into your imagination. And I think the imagination gets a really bad rap because the imagination <laughs> it doesn't mean something's false. I mean, it's subjective, absolutely, but it doesn't mean that it's false. It just means that that's the way that you envision something as being. I mean, take a look at the different world religions that we have and the way that they depict, um, you know, the different forces, celestial, infernal, and all that. You know, uh, you start to see that there are some underlying fundamentals that are universal, but the trappings and the way that they're presented are, you know, unique to each you know, culture and, and person that gets exposed to it. So how this applies to, you know, all of, of what we're talking about is that it is a form of art. So when you have these guys that are <coughs> involved in these organizations, yeah, you're going to have guys splintering off, you know, some for power, but some, you know, just because it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I see what you're doing. Now it's time for me to start my own art, you know, my own voice and my own thing, you know? And uh, I, I think it, very much uh, was a lot of that that was going on as well. So, I like uh, Alistair Crowley's take on magic. Magic is the art and science and, <laughs> of yeah. of creating the world according to your will. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I think that that kind of goes back to what we were talking about in mm-hmm. the last episodes, where where uh, you know Frankenstein and and Dracula are dealing with these themes of nature versus science and um, interpreting the natural world according to scientific principles um, without losing your soul or your humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, magic is this is this attempt to sort of reconcile scientific reality with with unknowns, spiritual unknowns. Absolutely, because uh, the one thing nature abhors a vacuum. You know, that, mm-hmm. that old thing, and, and that includes you know our own minds and understandings. And where we have that vacuum, we will fill in the blank with something. Uh, so, it, you know, it, let's see. There was a quote here I, I I wanted to read, and you know when when you brought up the quote of Crowley, it reminded me of this and and this kind of dovetails in with this. It's a quote from Levi to. Practice magic is to be a quack. To know magic is to be a sage. And so, <laughs> you know, think about that for a moment. You know, it, basically, if you're sitting there, you know, practicing magic and doing the, you know. The cookbook. The cookbook, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, eh, whatever. But to understand, what what does that mean to understand? You've actually sat there, picked it apart, and 
you know, and sometimes this happens through practicing, you know, because sometimes in the process of doing something leads to a deeper understanding of what the underlying fundamentals are. Um, but I think what he's really driving at is, you know, look, if you're just sitting there puppeting, you know, the incantations and all of these things, yeah, yeah, it's that's tomfoolery, you know. <laughs> but, you know, if you actually sit down, take a step back and, and actually do this to come to a deeper understanding and uh, it leads to a self-realization, you know, of what's going on. And God, how much time do we have? Well, I mean, we are coming up at 55 minutes. But like I said, we can split this into two. We can continue. There are a lot of topics that I'd love to talk about. Um, but that would that would take, you know, another hour. Uh, I'd like to at least touch on one one thing really quick. And that sure, was sure. another emerging science during the period of time of psychology. Mm. You know, and uh, Carl Jung uh, specifically. Because, mm. you know, here during this period of time, like we were saying, we have this kind of fusion of, of science and spiritualism, you know, and where that line defining the two is isn't absolutely clear. And that's, you know, one of the best examples of that is the work of Carl Jung. You know, here you have a guy who is obviously very, very much uh, schooled in these ideas of, you know, astrology and hermeticism and, you know, various divination tactics and things like that. And, one of the series of lectures that he gave actually was talking about the alchemical wedding. Mm. Uh, now, it's it's a very Rosicrucian idea, but it predates that uh, even further. Um, but basically, in a nutshell, it's the melding of you know masculine, feminine to create a whole, or even on a greater scale than that, just the assimilation of all aspects of self. You know, to become whole because underlying in, in Jungian uh, psychology, the point is not to be happy. The point is to be whole. Okay. Uh, and so a lot of what he was talking about was those assimilations of aspects of self that we try to either avoid, ignore, push away, all of those things. So from the Jungian view, he was looking at a lot of Western esotericism in terms of archetypes and psychologically, how is that affecting us, um, you know, to through the practice of magic? What is that doing psychologically to help heal, you know, and using the alchemical wedding as kind of the, the backdrop uh, within the series of lectures to how that process occurs, that mm. inner alchemical process uh, to reassimilate aspects of self because the mind works in it with symbols right mm -hmm. uh, makes sense you know so symbols are, can be very powerful to both in magic and in psychology you know mm -hmm. your mind has certain things that it sees and associates with certain things mm -hmm. um and so that's like a really big thing in psychology and it can be it can be personal there are things that mm -hmm. you know you see a a, a stick and you think oh it's going to be a treat someone else might see a stick and think oh that's something that someone used to beat me with when i was a child right. and so they have these different symbolic associations with a simple object um and I so that, could, that yeah. yeah and so and so but in in jung's work it was there are certain things that are universal symbols mm -hmm. um they're universal archetypes so mm -hmm. a young man you see a young man going out into the world and that's a that's an archetype mm -hmm. of 
the the person who's beginning the 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 fool and that can and that ties in with like tarot and yes. stuff like that yes um huh. and each each tarot card is an archetype of a certain kind of person or a certain place that you can be in your journey on life to become whole so you start out as the fool and then you learn a few things and you become the magician and then uh perhaps you're initiated into a, a secret society and so then you're the high priestess or the high priest uh so it, it's just okay. real interesting yeah, how that works on on a magical level and also on a kind of a psychological level as we grow as as people but in reality i mean isn't that one and the same you know on the magical level versus psychological level i mean even if we look that at was... the word psychological psyche the soul were and, and then if you start looking at the old myth of psyche and cupid you know, and we're going right back into talking about what we were talking about before, which is the assimilation of all aspects of self to become whole, which is could be argued is kind of the moral Purpose, of the story yes. of, of Psyche and Cupid. Is that, again, another representation of that alchemical wedding of, you know, coming together and, and fusing together, you know, and for those very, very briefly, who are not familiar with the story of Psyche and Cupid, you know, you have, uh, uh, oh, I got to be brief. Okay, well, anyway, Psyche goes on this whole adventure to then win back Cupid and they get married and together and ta-da, and wholeness and everyone is... And it isn't it interesting how psychology is seen as a legitimate science at yes. this point in time and, and things like the Golden Dawn and secret societies are sort of malarkey hogwash. Yes. Nobody, you know, that's that's all very silly. Mm -hmm. well, I guess, I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you say they're doing this ritual magic and they're following this cookbook, as you say, mm -hmm. I mean, what were the results they were looking for? Like, what, what spells were they trying to cast? Like, you know, the, I want this spell to make me rich or make me famous. <laughs> what are they casting? Uh, Crowley was often looking for money. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but one of, one of his main things was he wanted to meet his guardian angel. Okay. Yes, the holy guardian angel. Yes. And that was, that was something that you had to be physically and spiritually prepared for you had to be in a certain space you had to align mm -hmm. your shrine in a certain right. way that, was that like a single the, person casting what, what, what about like the group spells or the group castings that they were doing i mean what were they trying to do it's well the secret yeah oh that's right we don't know it was secret <laughs> well i mean the the it, in the end the final thing and, and reason for these organizations was the you know age old idea of the accomplishment of the great work you know, the whatever that is. Well, the, the, it comes. Well, we were from, just talking about yeah. psychology. The great um, work would be self improvement okay, and okay. reaching to bring human beings in alignment with the higher power. Mm. Okay. In a nutshell, yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, they're casting all these spells and whatnot. It's like, to what purpose? Is what was my question. <laughs> Oftentimes, it seems to me, in my ignorance, yeah. but uh, Crowley's efforts in, in magical use was just to see if he could get something. to to happen okay right mm -hmm. to see if i can exert my will on this the universe yeah. or on another person at a distance you know because if i could do that then i could figure out how i can how i can uh, use that power more effectively and more effectively change the world that i'm living in okay mm -hmm. uh all right to yeah, give he, me money or okay. to give me money or, <laughs> or, whatever. or whatever yeah the Scarlet Woman, or, or any of the others, uh, it, he he definitely was big on on will. Will was a term that comes up with Crowley many many times. So, <laughs> and uh, focusing of and right. the uh, undeterred will, I guess you could say. So yes, okay. I'm just curious, and also, I mean, well, I'm going to slightly change the subject here. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, we mentioned the tarot earlier a little mm-hmm. bit briefly. I, I see that you you created um, this cartomancy. Yes. Did you create it from scratch? And I knew you did the art. I heard you mm-hmm. did the art on it. And what is behind this cartomancy? I, I'm looking at myself, and it is it is not a tarot deck. No. It, it is, no. looks like a deck of playing cards with mm-hmm. your particular art on it, which is super cool. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, Thank you. you know, I could play gin rummy with it you could <laughs> but i think that is not what you meant it for right what well cardomancy I mean, yeah, there's a big sign that says have a question cardomancy past future present what is what is behind this what, what are we what are we doing with this here well it kind of goes in with everything we've been talking about i do a lot of art a uh, number number of years ago i uh Started looking into uh, tarot a little bit closer um, and had the idea that, oh, I'll just go off and, you know, design my own tarot deck. And the more I I deeply dug into it, the more I realized that the Western esotericists had defined it not only in practice but also in symbology so thoroughly that I almost felt like – yeah, I I just didn't want to go against the grain so much. Yeah, you know, I I wanted something that was a little bit looser as far as symbology was concerned, and uh, I could play with and really make my own without. Um, yeah, I I just felt like the Western esotericists had kind of monopolized tarot a little okay. bit, and yeah, I they they had a good beat on it, so I I didn't want to mess with that so much, and so I started looking into other card systems and cardamancy another one i was somewhat familiar with um really got my eye because it was something that wasn't very well defined especially when it came to symbolism you know it was pretty much whatever you wanted to add to it that you felt was right go for it so uh that was an excursion journey all all into itself on okay what can i throw in here what can i do with this uh so now, keep in mind, cardamancy and tarot share a common lineage, you okay. know, as far as playing cards are confer- concerned. Uh, playing cards coming from the Middle East over trade routes into Europe, uh, and then almost immediately once they came into Europe, divination systems started. <laughs> um, you know, and then you also had uh, some of the first tarot decks uh, being made almost instantly. Like, uh, we actually do have for sale one of the very, very first tarot decks uh, that was ever created, which was the Visconti deck. Uh, beautiful uh, gold foil renaissance era uh, paintings uh, on them just fabulous fabulous deck Um, now uh, so whereas tarot kind of went in one direction cardamancy went into the other cardamancy was a bit more into the folk art tradition Um, now in Kind of the folk art tradition, a cardamancy reading might go something along the lines of, you know, a dark-haired man will come into your life and cause you financial ruin and, you know, uh, on and on and on. Like really okay. just straightforward fortune telling. Okay. Um, so the more I, I looked into it, though, realized, well, this is really flexible, so I don't have to adhere to that. Uh, and, sense. you know, really started thinking of it in terms of, you know, all of the other kind of Western esoteric ideas, you know, such as, uh, you know, and Kabbalistic ideas, you know, numerology and and whatnot, uh, but also some other uh, practices, you know, some other uh, even more Taoist ideas or, or things that are incorporated into the I Ching. Um, and then also uh, I'm 
certified in Jungian psychology. Uh, so also a great deal of, of that as well, um, not only in methodology, but also interpretation. So uh, it, it's really just a great big stew of, of <laughs> all the, all the uh, little things kind of picked up over the years. And I feel like Victorian know. occultism generally is like that. Yeah, Just no. Picked stuff yes. from from Egypt and the Far East right, right. and things that I made up so this, absolutely. when I was a kid. So I'm just yeah. keeping in with the tradition, right, so really. Yeah. This, is, this is a system that you that you've put together, <laughs> and, and as, well, as well as created the cards for. Right. Or, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Thank you. So it's keeping in with the tradition. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. a big a big stew of a million things kind of thrown together. Yeah. I like it. I'm, Thank I'm you. I'm gonna definitely buy one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I, uh, if you have a chance as a listener, get a chance to come over to the uh, Curie Arcanum. You need to take a look at this at this deck. Uh, Mister uh, Suchamel has a a uh, framed uh, dis- uh, illustration of of each of the cards, and they're all every one of them is illustrated. It's not just you know a number and and a heart or something. But it, every one of them is is got uh, pictures and they're very colorful i don't know anything more than that because i don't know anything about cardomancy yet but i'm gonna find out that's right uh, I, I guess we should probably be wrapping it up for this time um but we definitely need to come back and great. talk some more with you about other stuff because it's like he's like like that said there's so many more <laughs> yep. things that he wants to yeah, talk we, about we've scratched the surface yeah. i i realize but there's there's uh there are more characters and more stories oh yeah and uh more things i want to ask about huh. uh so I hope we can do this again very soon. Excellent. Anytime. Yeah, Excellent. So well, thank you now. so much. Brief musical interlude and then a, uh, what's coming up next. Yep, there's a few things coming up. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things is right here. Yeah. Right in here. this shop. You're having your grand opening next weekend, you said, right? Yes. Uh, right. Well, not next free, uh, weekend. The uh, uh, 16th, Friday the 16th. Okay. Uh, so we'll be two weeks weekends. from the day we're yes. recording this. Uh, Friday the 16th. So, yeah, tell, tell, tell everybody where they can find you, <laughs> whether, mm-hmm. you know, I guess your address, where oh. you are, um, where you can live online, where they can get, where they can find you guys. <laughs> well, we are located at 1006 South 1st Street in Austin, Texas. We're right next door to the Glass Coffin. Um, you share the same address. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. And, and the same entrance uh, through the gate. Um, to the left of the gate upstairs. <laughs> yes. And... Um, we're most active on uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook. Just take a look uh, for Curia Arcanum. And uh, yeah, you can of course, follow we'll link all that, the fun stuff. Uh, of course, in great. Facebook. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. This has been great. This has been fantastic. Uh, Man, I, I really appreciate it. And thank you guys for letting me ramble on for so long. <laughs> oh, it was, oh, it was fascinating. The more you talk, the less we have to. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> good. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, I didn't know, I don't know anything about this this subject. And so, you know, the more you talk, the more I learned. And I, I, I didn't really know what kind of questions to ask <laughs> properly. You know, but It all worked out. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll call that successful rambling. There you go. Hooray. That's what podcasts are all about. Yay. <laughs> that is a true thing. All right, so we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a bit.
This has been the Texas Steampunk Connection, version 3.0. Opening and closing music by Tricyclo Circus Band. Excusez-moi. Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you out and about one of our adventures. Or to join you on yours. We welcome your correspondence. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, fanboytv.com, or your favorite podcast outlet. Until next time. Mind, mind your, your gauges. gauges.